0: 90 loaves in 90 days, oh, yeah. we're pitchin' a loaf, pitchin' loaf,
1: oh, yeah. It's Lynn Carson, with a PhD in Grain Sciences, eating 90 loaves in 90 days. She's pitchin' a loaf,
2: pitchin'
1: loaf, tune in and carb up. 90 loaves in 90 days, we're pitchin'
2: a loaf, love. a loaf,
1: You're listening to the Pitching a Loaf
3: Podcast.
0: Welcome to Pitching a Loaf Podcast. This is the eighth episode of our series. Today, we will talk about sprouts and sprouted bread. My name is Lynn Carson, founder and CEO of Bakerpedia, the only resource that you should refer to for any technical baking questions. My co-host today is David DeBlau. Hi, David.
2: Hi, Lynn. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. So uh, before we start today, Lynn, um, I'd like to make sure that our listeners know that uh, Paratos is sponsoring this podcast and that we are the suppliers of soft grain, which is a range of precooked grains uh, who are whole grain uh, in sourdough. And if you want to learn more about this product range, you should visit our website, www.paratos.us.
0: That's great, David. We are here today at the Johnson and Wales International Bread Symposium. David, can you let our listeners know how what this symposium is all about?
2: Well, I have here next to me I have here Peter Reinhardt, who is the founder of the uh, of the bread symposium. So, who else or who is better than to explain than Peter himself. So Peter, what is the symposium about?
3: Well, David, uh, thanks, and of course the symposium wouldn't exist without Puratus too, because you're our, our presenting sponsor, our platinum sponsor, so thanks to Puratus we were able to actually stage this here in Charlotte at the Johnson & Wales campus. And uh, we're uh, three-quarters of the way through with the two-day symposium, and we've been hearing presentations from uh, some of the world's most well-known bread visionaries. We, we're we're Talking about everything that has to do with the future of bread. That's the theme of this first symposium. We hope to continue doing these symposiums every year, and um, and we're getting off to a great start. We've had uh, Glenn Roberts from Anson Mills. We've had uh, Chad Robertson of Tartine Manufactory, yeah, and, which is a kind of the visionary bakery of the future. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, Stefan uh, Stefan Capella of PuraDOS, who who gave the keynote, and it was all about the future of bread is found in the past and its past, Mm -hmm. which we really tied the past and the future together. And then he was followed by William Rubel, a a bread historian, who really built on that theme and took us deep into the past to show us how you can't really address the future without understanding the past. And so we just keep exploring deeper and deeper themes. Each speaker builds on the others. We even had uh, presenters uh, uh, Skype in from Bulgaria Mm -hmm. to talk about bread as a tool for social transformation and how they're using it as a therapeutic tool to rebuild community and heal people with with, uh, with traumas and disabilities. And so BRETT has many levels of meaning, and we're trying to explore all of them in two days. And, of course, you can only scratch the surface, but we're opening up the conversation, and we want to build on this.
2: Yeah. So, how many? Uh, I wanted
0: to add that uh, Wikipedia has volunteered to be the ambassadors of the BRETT Without Borders game, so we will host all the gaming in Portland, Oregon itself. Yeah,
3: let me... Uh- Explain what uh, what Lynn was saying is she's going to be a crumb ambassador uh, for this new game, a board game called Bakers Without Borders, that the folks from from Bulgaria, Nadezhda Savova, who's and her husband Stefan, have developed this game as a therapeutic tool uh, to help again introduce using bread as a way to build community and also to encourage oven building and all sorts of cool things. So uh, Lynn Lynn was the first to volunteer to be the the uh, crumb ambassador in Portland, Oregon, and and uh, that was a great. Uh, after she jumped in, a whole bunch of other people wanted to jump in, too. So, so Peter, uh, how many people are here today or for the symposium? We have about 200 people in attendance. Uh, a number of people bought tickets and came in from all over the world, including Sydney, Australia. We have people from Mumbai, India, uh, from New Zealand. Uh, Canada, West Coast, East Coast, everywhere. Uh, We also have a number of our faculty members from Johnson & Wales who are helping to put it on. Uh, We have a number of other sponsors. Uh, Central Milling is one of our uh, sponsors that's helping to to, uh, make this financially possible for us to do it, as well as um, uh, Two Year Health Sprouted Grain. uh, And interesting, both of those companies are very uh, deeply involved in the sprouted grain movement, which I think is a very important part of the future of bread. And and we also have a, a number of other sponsors who are helping and even the meals have all been sponsored by local restaurants uh, because everybody wants to support this idea we think we're we 're onto to something big bread is is important to people in so in so many ways on so many levels and it 's also probably the most controversial of all foods so it's it's a perfect subject to talk about kind of in a, in a micro way the macro issues
2: yeah and one of the nice things that have been put together as well as the is the live stream as well so for all of these people who were not uh, present uh, yesterday and today uh, at the Bread Symposium. You can all look it back uh, either on the Johnson & Wales uh, Facebook page or on the Paratos USA Facebook page where the live stream will be, uh, will be loaded up and you still can see um, everything back. But Peter, it's nice to talk about but what really brought for you the idea to pull all of this together?
3: Well, I've been thinking about this for about four years now, and it took three of those years to kind of put all the pieces together and eventually uh, uh, kind of connect the dots and get the university behind it and and then eventually be able to approach uh, companies like Puratus to see if they would uh, like to come on board to help us you know, launch it and make it happen. Uh, and what generated the idea is, number one, that, that while there is a growing interest in artisan breads and, hand and home baking and things like that, and, and that's been wonderful for the American baking community, um, but at the same time, bread is always under attack. It's it's a, it's so controversial that whether it's the gluten or the carbs or or brain drain and all these other things that that people are concerned about bread. Uh, and there's not a real academic forum. We have workshops and we've got great uh, bread camps and and uh you know gatherings to to make bread but no place to talk about it in the academic sense and and in the, the and sort of the the bigger the bigger picture and so uh since Johnson and Wales is is really the host of perhaps the most decorated bread faculty of any culinary program in the world. We've got a number of published authors, uh, international award winners, and all gathered within our, you know, under our umbrella we felt that this was the place to do it, uh, you know, at, within our university. And, uh, you know, the idea uh, made sense to the university, and they said, if you can make it happen, uh, then we'll support it. And and uh, and so I presented my idea, my vision for it. Then uh, we met with, with you, David, and uh, and brainstormed a little bit about who the speakers should be, what the you know what the topics should be, and we came up with, a with a, I think, an amazing two-day program that will start the process. This year, we hand-selected the speakers, and they're all well-known because we knew that the first year we needed to draw a big crowd and get off to a good start. My vision for the future is that we will put out a call for presentations uh, like, like symposiums normally are, are run, and people can pr- submit abstracts, and we'll have a selection committee to pick the speakers. So so that people who are not as well-known can have a forum to showcase their ideas and present them to the world.
0: i like to say, Peter, you've done a great job this time. So without a formal process in place, you picked really good speakers. Thank you very much.
2: Well, and you started off with uh, why, why this idea that bread is under attack. And I think we have here, with Lynn also, another nice example to show that bread should not be under attack with her EatBread90.com uh, campaign. So. Um, Lynn, what bread have you been eating this week?
0: Well, uh, Parados did send me a couple of loaves that were like, I couldn't finish consuming them. The Panay, the uh, Altamura from Authentic Durham. Um, also, sprouted grain bread using your soft grain. That was excellent. Thank you. Dave's Killer bread, epic everything bagel and cinnamon raisin remix. I think... Just the the name itself just blew my mind, right? I got to eat those things because they sound so
3: cool. Is that because Dave's Killer Bread started in Portland, Oregon? <laughs>
0: Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I just think that they are such a um, trendy and cool, cool uh, and upcoming bakery. And every time when they launch something new, everybody, everybody takes notice, right? So I think this line of bagels are extremely um uh, promising because not only does each bagel have uh, 27 grams of whole grains. I mean, what other bagels have that? And uh, they also meet your, um, if you eat enough of them, they'll meet your daily requirement of uh, protein and fiber. So, um, so that's why um, I enjoyed eating their bagels last week. Before we move on to our next guest, I want to check if we're still recording. Before we move on to our next guest, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Parados, for sponsoring this podcast. Want to create a new sprouted bread? They recently launched a sprouted version of soft grain, soft grain sprouted grain CL. Visit parados.us today for a solution.
2: So uh, thank you, Lynn, for that. So do you see that, that sprouted grains, they are, they are coming back?
0: Yes, I do see a strong trend for sprouted grains. Um, the only issue I see with this trend is bakers at the industrial scale can't keep up with it, um, especially can't keep up with sprouting their own grains. Gu- uh, you know, what do you think um, is the most challenging issue with producing sprouted bread?
2: Well, I. I think I have also uh, quite some challenges as well with sprouting grains on my side at even at home so I can imagine how it is at with the larger bakeries but I think food safety is definitely one having the consistency as well when do you have to stop the sprouting process availability if you start it you only can make so much to make some uh, so many breads without uh, with uh, with, uh, with the sprouted grains as well but I think we, we, we have to pull in some 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 mother brains into the room yeah, as well, absolutely. and I have here next to me as well Nikki Justo from uh, from Central Milling. Uh, welcome, Nikki, and you have a solution as well for bakers for who want to make a sprouted bread. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you are doing with uh, sprouted greens?
0: Yeah, Nikki. Yes.
2: Hi, everybody. Hi.
1: Um, yes, we make a um, a sprouted mash, um, or as Peter uh, Reinhardt likes to call it, a sprouted pulp. Is what it is. It's uh, so we take this sprouted. Uh, the, the grain and sprout them um, and then we stop the sprouting process by running it through a grinder um, so the the product is still alive it's still a uh, fermenting um, so flavors are still developing out of it but the sprouting process has been halted and we take that and put it in a mold um, and suck all the air out of it um, and then freeze it right away um, so I
0: was just going to ask you, how does that completely stop the enzymatic activity when you take the air out and you freeze it?
1: It doesn't stop the um, enzymatic activity, the freezing process um, oh, okay. slows it dramatically to a halt. Uh-huh. Um, we uh, do about minus 30 degrees, of blast freeze on it, um, and that will uh, completely halt the, the process. But then once the, the product is thawed out, um, it picks back up.
0: And so you deliver it frozen to the bakers? Yes. And what kind of a shelf life do they have with these sprouts before they have to absolutely use it?
1: When it's frozen, it's indefinite. I'm still doing product testing on a product that's uh, well over four years old right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. (laughs) and, And... but once it's thawed, it depends on how you use it. If you're using it as 100% of your grain weight, um, you want to utilize the product within five to six days. Okay. Um, because once it's in the refrigerator, it's fermenting. So it, it gains flavor. Um, and you know, I like to use it on the tail end of that because it's basically a sourdough, lower pH, longer shelf life on your product and so on. Um, and the younger the product, um, the sweeter it will be, um, And which I've scene is uh, a bit more uh, uh, accepted amongst folks um, but the larger manufacturers want it a little bit sweeter but the more artisan guys want it a little bit more on the on the tangy side. But if you're using it as an inclusion, so using it along with dry flour weight, you can have that stuff in your refrigerator for two weeks more.
3: I'd like to add something to what Nikki's saying because I've been tracking the sprouted breads method and movement for a long time. In fact, you know, most people in this country think of maybe uh, Ezekiel bread and Alvarado Street breads as two of the the big brands that make it. But sprouted breads have been around longer. I think it was Nikki's grandfather or great grandfather that actually introduced this t- this type of bread to the to the United States way back in like the 19 early 1950s, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. It's kind of and unclear. We don't have it well documented. It was
3: called Vita Justo Vita, Vita Grain, Vita and and I remember I didn't well, I wasn't around to have it, but I Vita. towards the end of when that when that when they stopped baking that bread, it was still being made and i had it and and uh uh, nikki's uncle keith who was my baker my bread supplier at the time told me about it and brought it to me and, and told me all about sprouts and got me very interested in sprouted grain breads. And then uh, just I'm going to add one more thing and then I have to go back to the symposium and, and I'll let you continue the conversation. But uh, another uh, avenue in the sprouted grain world that's newer is is actually taking the, the, the sprouted grains themselves and instead of turning them into a mash or a pulp is to actually dry them back into a hard berry and then grinding them into flour and using them that way. And that's new and the bakers are still just learning how to work with that. Mm-hmm. So we have now two tracks of sprouted grain, two ways to get sprouted grain, both of which are you know huge nutritional improvers and and great flavor enhancers for breads. I think both of these categories have almost unlimited growth potential. And so, I, so uh, as you're, as the listeners are listening, and some of the big mills now are also making the flour available as well as the the pulp. Um, uh, just keep an eye on because I think this is the category with tremendous growth potential for many reasons.
0: So. Um I have a quick technical question for you. With the sprouted grain flours, are there any technical difficulties in producing those kind of bread? Do you use small gluten? Or what do you use to make, make sure that their product quality is consistent?
3: In theory, you can make the bread without the addition of vital wheat gluten, uh, although the, the gluten tends to be not as springy as it would be in non-sprouted flour. Um, and so some of the bakeries are adding um, up to 2% vital wheat gluten to give it that extra spring and a little bit more oven oven spring and lift. Um, but other than that, it's pretty di- the, it's pretty simple to work with. It tends to be a little drier than regular flour, so your hydration can go way up. A bread, for instance, a whole wheat bread that I would typically make at 75 to 78% hydration, I would go to 90% when I'm using sprouted whole wheat flour. Uh, and of course, that's a di- it's a different formulation than when you're using the pulp, and Nikki is really an expert on how to turn that the, the pulps or mashes into, into breads. Uh, but with the flour, which I've been sort of focusing on because uh, one of the companies that makes that flour is nearby where I live, um, you know, we find that higher hydration is the key. And then after that, it's just practice. Uh, and and uh, getting used to this, you know, wonderful flavor. You don't have to use pre-ferments. There's a lot of things you can do because the flavor. I always say that the the mission of the baker is to evoke the full potential of flavor trapped in the grain. And bakers do that by using techniques like sponges and pre-ferments and starters and all sorts of things to enhance the fermentation but with, when nature enters into the picture and, it's, and you sprout the grain nature is doing a lot of that flavor development for you so you don't necessarily need starters to get the full potential flavor um, and, but still we're, it's, a, it's a growing craft and I think there's a lot of learning still to, to come um, but there's formulas out there and there's people that are good at making it in both, in both forms in, in the book I wrote Bread Revolution I showcase both style of doing it with the mash and also the flour style because I think you know some people prefer one method over the other but they're both I think powerful categories that are going to grow
0: I have one more question so when you use sprouted grain flour you don't do a sponge it's a straight dough method
3: you don't have to do a sponge. There's, there's no re- the the sponge yeah. doesn't add as much value as it does in a regular bread. However, if you're using natural leaven like you know a starter, then you then that becomes the sponge, and you're doing that for flavor development sure. and, and for, for a little bit more complexity. But uh, but the the wheat itself or doesn't need the sponge in order to release the flavors because the sprouting actually releases all those natural sugars and flavors. You know the compounds that uh, you would normally do through a long fermentation.
2: Great. Good. Thank well, you. Thank you. All thank right. you, Peter. Thank You're you, heading Peter. back to the symposium. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, we've been talking a lot about the flavor, the flavor aspect, and uh, together with Nikki we've had the luxury as well to work together at the Center for Bread Flavor with a new sprouted product that, uh, that we're working with uh, back in Europe that will be coming soon to, uh, uh, to the U.S., and it's really more, much more about, about flavor development and so on. But there is a whole nutritional aspect. On, on sprouted grains as well Nick can you elaborate a little bit more on the nutritional aspect and the work that you've done there yeah
1: yeah so um, sprouting I think Peter uh, touched on this it unlocks a lot of the uh, uh, the flavor potential out of the berry um, but also it unlocks a lot of vitamins as well um, so when when the when the the grain is when it sprouts, um, the, the germ uh, starts to turn the berry into a plant. So what it's doing is it's, it's converting the complex carbohydrates um, of the endosperm into a simple sugar, and um, that's basically the exact process that your stomach goes through when you digest or when you're digesting uh, a wheat flour, bread, a typical product. It's it's converting the complex carbohydrates into simple sugars. So the sprouting process does that work for you. So once you ingest that, um, it's easier for your body to pass. Um, and uh, uh, also, the uh, the B vitamin value is increased as well during the sprouting process, um, and fiber is increased um, on top of that. And the fiber is actually the, the tangible. Um, you yeah. can actually see the tail growing. It's it's, it's yeah. a biomatter that's being created during the sprouting process, so it's it makes a lot of sense that the fiber of the product is increased because of that. So you have fiber, you have... Uh, 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 the conversion of the, um, uh, the complex carbohydrates, to simple sugars and releasing of amino acids and a lot of other things that come along with that. Um, it's just the perfect way to eat grain, I
2: think. Right. Yeah. So with really um, uh, so together with, pr- so sprocket the greens at the end of the day, it ha it's good for you for flavor, but it's good for your body as well. Yes, at exactly. the end of the yeah, day, yeah, yeah. it
1: kills two birds with
2: one stone There, it's incredible. Good. Yeah.
0: I have a question about your heritage because Peter did mention something that I didn't know about you Uh, and can you tell me a little bit more about your family and why do they believe in sprouted grains? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's a long story. I don't know if we have that much time, but I can, I can put it in a little nutshell. Um, my uh, great-grandfather came over from, uh, from Italy, um, and he actually met my great-grandmother here, who also emigrated from Italy as well. They met uh, in Stockton. Um, they were farming uh, farmers. Um, and also Miller's. Uh, my my grandfather was born in a flour mill in uh, Forazza, Italy, um, and uh, it brought a lot of those techniques over here. Um, fast forward a couple years, uh, so this is in the 30s now. Um, uh, handshake deal, got a health food store in San Francisco and um, um, opened a bakery in San Francisco in the back of this health food store. My grandmother was in, into yoga, juicing, um, high-protein, uh, <laughs> foods, low sodium, and this is in the late 30s. This is all happening in in the early 40s. And then uh, my grandfather was interested in the bread production part of it. So, um, they were just trying to find ways of making more nutritious breads and they were, uh, experimenting with macrobiological fermentation, uh, rice breads, things like that. Um, and doing, uh, uh these sprouted grain breads, um, uh, that little hints of this was happening in Italy at the time when he left. And then, uh, more exploring was happening here with, uh, uh, the folks who started food for life mm-hmm. and the Ezekiel bread and they right. kind of got together and developed, uh, and further the the whole process of this of this magical way of baking um and uh and he started selling the sprouted grain bread in the 40s and the 50s you know wow. i have photos of of the bake shop um with my wow. grandfather and my great-grandfather buy the the loaves of sprouted grain bread wow. you know back then and it's just it's pretty cool and then it's kind of snowballed since and morphed into a lot of other different things but
2: well but, thank you yeah yeah Thank you, Nikki, for, uh, for joining us for this, po- for this podcast. If you are looking for the sprouted mash from, uh, from Nikki, uh, they can go to the website centremeling.com yeah. or uh, at Key Justo's Bakery Supply probably as well. Eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. definitely. Thank you.
0: Hopefully, after today's podcast, if you're clamoring for solutions to produce sprouted bread, try Soft Grain Sprouted Grain, a non-GMO clean label solution from Parados. Contact Parados today at parados.us. This is Lynn Carson. Thank you for listening in today to hear about our discussion on sprouted grain. If you have more technical questions, go stick it out on bakerpedia.com. Till next podcast, I'm eating my way there. Love you all later.
1: You've been listening to Bakerpedia's Pitching a Loaf podcast, hosted by Dr. Lynn Carson. Our show is co-hosted by Dave Doll and David Dublau the pitching a loaf jingle is done by creative mills our associate producer is anna rink show notes by joanna evanuk our podcast cover art is designed by kurt rawsus the pitching a loaf podcast is produced at bigfoot podcast network in the heart of beautiful downtown portland oregon